Do you think she'd have kept your son from you? If she could feel your loss? And you, mother? Are you prepared to lose another son? Federation took my family. Now I will take yours. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, really loving what they're doing with Counselor Troy so far this season on Picard. (laughs) And we're here this week to talk about the latest episode, Dominion of Star Trek Picard Season 3. We'll also later in the show talk about the latest episode of The Mandalorian. But first, Tyler, we had some breaking Star Trek news that's not so breaking now, but it was exciting a day or so ago. Uh, Yeah, Cam, uh, Starfleet Academy is officially getting the green light, and we couldn't be more unenthusiastic about this, right? (laughs) This, okay, so like, with so many different types of Star Trek shows, there was always like the um, the question in my head of like, when's the Star Trek show that they announce that I just kind of like flatline in my response? Like I just have no excitement. And I would say like Prodigy in initially what they were telling us was kind of pushing me a little in that direction where it was like a group of kids take over a starship. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. But then they said, oh, but you know, Janeway's going to be there and... You know, the show turned out to be something that was genuinely exciting. When I read about this uh, YA Star Trek show, Starfleet Academy, I just, I had nothing. I had nothing at all. Uh, well, let me ask you this. The the suits over at Paramount Plus, they saw what we got in season four of Discovery, where we had that episode dedicated to Tilly and the Starfleet cadets. And they clearly watched that episode and said, yeah, give us that. <laughs> and that makes me very fearful. And, and like, I, they didn't sit there and say, hmm, that was a terrible episode. They said, like, huh, I think there's something worth mining here. And I, I don't know. It seems as if based on the, um, the press release, it's indicating this will take place in the uh, Discovery era just because they said it's been more than 100 years since we've opened the doors to cadets as young as 16. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of correlates with what we heard in Discovery. Like they really haven't had like a dedicated academy, you know, for I think 125 years. And that episode of Discovery, it was like these whining little kids going like, we just need to learn how to work together despite the fact we come from disparate backgrounds. Oh, what a lesson. And I'm like, oh boy. Like that, that, that is not what I need to see from a Starfleet Academy show. And I, I'm very fearful that they're insistent on going back into this. Well, I have no, no problem with like wanting to do a Star Trek YA series. No, I, uh, you know, young adult series. I just, I don't know. 
I don't think this is going to be the next like Riverdale, for example. I, I, or you know, Pretty Little Lot. Or no, what's the one? Uh, uh, Gossip Girl. You know, like I just right. like I think if they want to do a Gossip Girl version of Star Trek, you got to go for it. But you can't do whatever that Academy backdoor pilots or whatever they're trying to do in season four of Discovery was. No, and I mean, I don't want to besmirch the concept of like a soap opera Star Trek show, like kind of a teen soap where you get involved with the characters. I mean, I grew up in the era of Beverly Hills 90210. You know, the OC later on down the road was very popular. Shows like Dawson's Creek. These are shows people legitimately love. So I don't want to say like all of that is bad because you can do versions of that that really capture people. But when I think of like the concept of soap opera, which can be, you know, very infectious, uh, the show Friends relied on it very strongly. But then I think about modern Star Trek. Modern Star Trek has tried to do soap opera a lot, and it has done it very, very badly. And so when I read them saying, you know, this is a show about first romances and all that sort of stuff, I'm like, that's fine if it's written well and it has some insight into characters and, you know, the ages the characters are at the time of these happenings. But, like, there's been nothing on any of these new Star Trek shows that would indicate to me that they can pull this off. No. And uh, I'm just picturing you uh, back in the OC days, Cam, and I think the opening line for uh, this one, uh, the series, should be, Welcome to the Academy, blank. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Cam, I wouldn't mind, like, a totally self-actualized, like, cheesy Star Trek soapy kind of teenage drama thing. Like, that would be fun. Like, 90210 is fun to watch. You know, mm -hmm. especially when they're taking themselves really seriously, but it was kind of supposed to be cheesy. Like, go for that with Star Trek. Like, like make it a little pulpy, make it a little soapy, a little hammy, a little campy. I'm okay with that. But I think they're going to take themselves so seriously with this endeavor here. And I wonder if we we instead of doing like uh, episode reviews, like three in a three. Uh, we wait until like three episodes build up. I, I wonder if we have to wait until a whole season builds up or, but maybe we'll love it. I don't know. Yeah, we'll do the pilot for sure. And yeah. that'll give us a certain sense of the tone we are dealing with. But like, I think of, you know, the episode First Duty from TNG or even like Tapestry, which is delving into Picard's younger years. Like that type of storytelling would be totally interesting to me. I would happily sit and watch it, but I just feel like they're going to go with a very synthetic um very kind of pat approach to the material and that's what i fear and that could be just deadly for me to sit through well think about it because they want it to be about like federation values and equality mm -hmm. and all and it's just kind of like that wasn't necessarily the mission statement of the oc or nano 210 right or, or no. gossip girl you know so i just this i think this is going to be <laughs> i think this is going to be the worst star trek show ever in existence <laughs> I, I i i'm not joking I, I really and i want them to prove me wrong I do think Star Trek has a real problem, though, and that it is not appealing to a lot of young people. Uh, maybe kids with uh, Prodigy, that remains to be seen. But, like, when we go to these conventions, we are on the younger end of the audience in attendance. And <laughs> yes. um, we are not young. We are falling apart <laughs> by the day. Uh, so they need to, like, replenish this fan base to carry the franchise into the future. And I don't know what the age cutoff for Star Trek Picard is, but I'm guessing there's not a lot of 20-year-olds catching up with it and <laughs> talking about it on TikTok. No, no. Um, can, can I pitch you like, something for an Academy show that I think would actually garner some interest? Okay. 
How about uh, Jean-Luc and Jack Crusher Sr. at uh, Academy? Like, I, I, I think you're right. bringing in some recognizable names there. Um, you can have fun with that. It's going to be a familiar area or era, but not an era that's been really explored that much. I mean, we saw it in Tapestry when mm-hmm. Picard had just graduated. But I don't know, like, like if we're talking about 30 years before TNG, I think that could be fun. You know, and yeah, we we can have uh, obviously Boothby would be uh in, in the leading role here, and uh and then uh we would just go from there and have some fun, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I would watch that. I I would give it a shot for sure. And I mean, this is set. It seems like in the you know Discovery era, um, Discovery is ending. I'd have to imagine that uh, certain cast members are be getting poached to appear on this show. Tilly obviously led that one episode that was kind of the backdoor pilot. So it seems very, very likely to me that Tilly is a presence on the show. What other characters do you think would make sense? Um, you know, I could see like Culber and Stamets, you know, they're space dads for the last, <laughs> they're space dads to a 25 year old uh, person uh, for the last uh, two seasons. Um, so maybe they can be space dads to these cadets, but um like realistically i don't know like I, I i would love to see saru as some sort of like academy commandant like that would be fun they'd finally mm-hmm. figure out what to do with this character um <laughs> you know <laughs> who knows what season five has in store for saru but apparently less than usual <laughs> yeah yeah that's what they're saying so uh i'm trying to think i like would uh, Zora or Zara? I, I forget which one is like the uh, the the tough guy from like early on in season three of uh, Discovery, and what which one is the uh, AI computer system on Discovery that always needs a pep talk? Zora is the one on Discovery, the pep talk computer. But and so then Zara is the tough guy. I believe so. Yeah. Okay, that's very similar names that they chose uh, to introduce two characters in the first uh, in the same season. Yeah, it is. A little bit like Vatic and Vedic in yeah, the Star no. Trek universe, yeah. Except uh, they weren't introduced in uh, uh, the same season of Deep Space Nine. Also true. Um, also true. Yeah. Uh, maybe Zora will make an appearance somehow. I don't know. I, I'm, like, I'm just like, I'm not enthused about like fan speculation over this 31st century Academy potential thing. It's just kind of like, I, I'm just giving the big whatever sort of shrug at this point. I just don't think they've done anything interesting with the 32nd century that would make me excited to see future explorations in that time period. Not saying it's impossible. Maybe Discovery Season 5 will blow my mind and I'll be like, give me more of this century. But so far, the idea of setting um, Starfleet, you know, a Starfleet Academy show in this particular time period with Starfleet being in the shape it is. That's just not particularly interesting to me. And I just can't wait to see how the writers tackle, like, 32nd century teen speak. Um, <laughs> do you know what they should do? Just go back to, like, uh, I don't know, 1950s slang, you know? Oh. There's always been an obsession uh, with the 20th century in Star Trek. So if, uh, you know, somebody is being called, like, a lick spittle, you know? <laughs> um, or uh, do you want to take this to fisticuffs? You know, like, that sort of stuff would be fun. Singing, we have no bananas. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that is, but sure. Yeah, uh, th- yeah, sure. I mean, go for it. I, I just, we'll see. 
This is a real wait and see. And I think it was announced that uh, Tawny Newsom will be on the writing staff from the lead Mariner from Lower Decks. Uh, I don't know what that means, but um, she has an improv and sketch comedy background, so maybe it'll be funny. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's a big fan, but uh, yeah. All right, Cam. So we are now on episode seven of season three of Picard, Dominion. And I, uh, I think this is another okay episode. It's like really didn't grab me I, I i think about like times when like uh cisco lost control of the station or janeway first lost control of uh voyager in uh, basics part one mm-hmm. and those were momentous moments and like it, it really flipped those shows on their heads and in this situation where vatic takes over the titan i just kind of shrug my shoulders and i'm like well I'm sure it'll all work out. And it's just like, it, there's no like emotional thrust here uh, about um, these particular actions. But th- this episode definitely had moments I really liked, you know, like that that Geordi uh, moments, like trying to reach data buried deep down in Lore's uh, system. And the thing I kept wondering is like, would this have been Geordi that we'd see in TNG? And, and no, this emotional Geordi is not the case. But his character development tracks for me. You know, he's a father now. Like, I, I buy it in a way that I don't necessarily buy um, Picard and Beverly suddenly becoming attempted murderers, <laughs> in, as we saw in this episode. <laughs> like, that really felt like a betrayal of those two characters. That really, really annoyed me. Yeah, where Beverly's like, well, anything goes right now. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. Um, yeah, the Jordy moment, to me, it worked as to where we see Jordy. Like you, I agree. Um this also felt like a almost belated acknowledgement of the failure of Nemesis, where Jordy watched his best friend, you know, dive into his death, and Jordy just gave a blank stare and walked away. This felt like okay, let's actually acknowledge how Jordy felt seeing that, and how he would have carried this as an individual, and how it would have affected him as a person. This just felt like belated, but very, very necessary, and I'm very thankful they did it. Yeah. Uh, look, I, let's not bury the lead. Uh, we also had the return of Tuvok, or I should say maybe just Tim Russ, because Tuvok didn't actually appear here other than in changeling form. And yeah. it got me thinking, like, why would Tim Russ agree to come back just to do a view screen scene as a changeling? Whereas, you know, that Robert Beltran, he declined to do like two episodes of season two of Picard playing a much more interesting character, which would have been his alternate version, his alternate universe version of himself, who would have been married to uh, Annika Hansen, the president of the Confederation. That sounds way more interesting than whatever Tim Russ is up to. Was it a paycheck deal? I don't know. I, I, I'm I just holding out hope that we do see the real Tuvok, that he's not like uh, <laughs> buried in some like closet that the changing like stuffed him into or something like that. This is an interesting choice because you're right. Like you're bringing back a legacy actor to sort of bring their character back to the screen. And Tuvok, the fact it's not the real Tuvok kind of deflates the excitement of seeing him back. So I don't think there was any chance that they were going to park like Miles O'Brien there or something like a real, real popular fan favorite. I think they wanted kind of like someone from, I would say, kind of the B string of legendary characters. Tuvok makes sense, but I am curious if he was the first person they reached out to. Okay, okay. Well, I I, I do think that Seven and Tuvok had like a 
solid connection. It made mm-hmm. sense, you know. And but it, like you can't have a moment where like I, I forget the name of the uh, Vulcan game. It starts with a K. But you can't have a moment where he was like, "Oh, I do recall you beating me." And then the music, the Voyager theme swells. Yeah, yeah. And then within like ten seconds, they're like, "I am a fake," and it's just like like that's just cheating, you know. Like that that's not a, kind of a cool like way of going about these moments. Yeah, and I liked when that scene ended and they basically cut off communication and acknowledged that uh this Tuvok was a fake and he turned into zombie Riker for a moment. Um they turn off the view screen and they're like, Boy, we can't keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> then if you get to wonder like how many ships have they talked to at this point? Are all ships taken over by changelings? Well, we already saw, like, Harry Kim turn into a changeling. Uh, Neelix way down in the uh, Talaxian asteroid colony as well. Argyle. Argyle, <laughs> yes. Uh, Boothby. You know, yeah. it's just uh, very, very awkward. Um, so, Cam, l- l- let me pose this to you. Like, I- I'm not good at, at like, kind of the uh, decoding mysteries. I- that's oh, just God. not my interest here. But, like, we see, like, a very um, ill-looking Riker. Mm-hmm. Uh as kind of in changeling form here. And I wonder if what we're ultimately getting at it is the changelings looking to gather folks up at Frontier Day to somehow get revenge and spread a disease of their own onto these humanoids. And we get this with, with some Jack Crusher hints, you know, like there's even um, the moment where Vatic said something along the lines, you know, uh, to Beverly, like as if Jack was even meant for you. And it just seems as if there's some sort of long game being played here, especially when you see him, I don't know, his eyes turning red. He now has some sort of telepathy. Cam, (laughs) I'm sorry, that telekinesis fight scene was one of the worst things I've ever seen choreographed in all of Star Trek, which is saying a lot for the the franchise that brought you the Kirk v. Gorn fight uh, about 57 years ago. You mean when Jack Ready Player One to Crash LaForge? (laughs) (laughs) That was terrible that was embarrassingly bad it had okay the whole like mystery of jack crusher is really annoying at this point and it's just being stretched out because we had the scene earlier where it was like them in the turbo lift and he could like read her mind and she's like oh he's cute i wish he'd touch my hand <laughs> it's like oh god who's writing this garbage it's it's the same people behind uh, starfleet academy cam that's what you can look forward to <laughs> it was reminding me do you remember in the original superman movie when they're flying and there's that whole kind of notorious bit where it's the John Williams score, but with Margot Kidder, like doing some sort of like, re- like spoken word over it. And it's supposed to be almost like she thinks Superman might be able to read her mind. And she's just saying things like, can you read my mind? Uh, Do you know what it is I'm feeling? Right. I'm like a little girl. I can fly. Things like that. That is what I was thinking of when I was watching these various scenes where we had him mind-reading Crash LaForge. Like, it was just painful. And that fight scene was like the cherry on top. Um, I did debate, because I agree with you. I thought it was actually very, very, very badly done. And I was thinking, like, is this one of the worst moments in New Trek? But then I was like, no. Picard Season 2 gave me too many competitors. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Seasons 3 and 4 of Discovery as well. Yeah. um, So it's like... This episode, though, like, I kind of didn't give my overview. Like, this one was yeah. fine. Like, I'm with you. It was painless. And it was because, uh, ultimately, I think Amanda Plummer carries this episode. And she is so much fun to watch. You have some really cool choreography of them, like, boxing her in and her and her people when they invade the ship. Um, and, again, if you're going to give, like, Amanda Plummer, like, monologues, wonderful. And I think it was an interesting motivation for the character that made a lot of sense with Star Trek canon. 
all of this worked for me. I really don't have a lot bad to say in terms of the episode. But, do you remember the movie Men in Black 3, Tyler? Yeah, I do. Yes. Not a movie that people maybe have, you know, at the forefront of their memory. But there's a section in that film where our heroes are escorting like an alien, played by Michael Stuhlbarg. And suddenly the bad guy roars up on a motorcycle, grabs Michael Stuhlbarg, and rides away. And our heroes jump on these motorcycles, chase after him in a fairly well-staged chase sequence. They capture Michael Stuhlbarg, the bad guy roars away, and they head on to the destination they were headed to in the first place. And that is kind of how I felt about this episode. This episode was kind of like an hour of well-shot action, um, extended the mystery stuff for an hour, but really where we went at the end of them just take, taking over the bridge of the ship could have happened in five minutes. There was nothing that really necessitated like a 47-minute episode of this TV show. It really felt like padding to me, just padding that was like pretty engaging, pretty entertaining, well-acted, but nothing particularly interesting. Well, with three episodes to go, are, are we going to spend like all of episode eight with this like Titan under the control of Vatic, you know, and like, that's what I'm fearful of. It just feels like more plate spinning uh, ahead, you know, maybe with uh, Worf and Raffi uh, coming to the rescue, uh, you know, and I'm just kind of like, <laughs> meanwhile, Cam, is Marina Sirtis really angry at the uh, writing staff at this point? She should be. She should be very angry. <laughs> This is yes. terrible. Like this, like, I, or it's either that or um, the next three episodes are going to be dedicated solely to the journey of Troy. Yeah, I, I know. I'm trying to think. They wouldn't have done this with like Marina Sirtis, like green screening in, would would they have? Because I know she's living in the UK. This was during the pandemic. Could it be something like that? I, yeah, it could be. Maybe. You know? We'll know better when we actually hopefully have her interacting with characters in the next couple episodes if that is the case but um that that's the only thing i can think of because it just feels so strange especially when yeah jordy joined the show a little bit later but he's gotten a fair amount to do and this episode really spent a lot of time with jordy we have not gotten anything character driven from troy whatsoever it's like troy is back in the film franchise once again yeah and we had the introduction of her last week um, I mean, we obviously had the view screen earlier, but, you know, being shown to be captured and we have Riker encountering her on Vatic's ship, that is not at all referenced in this episode at all. And also weird, actually, Worf and, um, and, um, Raffi were also completely absent in this episode. Um, it is just kind of weird, like this whole kind of TNG reunion concept for a season where characters kind of like flit in and out of the proceedings. Yeah, I... I also noticed Brent Spiner had and special guest star uh, sort of mm. credit. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen and special guest star. You know, I've seen special guest star before. I've seen and before, but not and special guest star. So props to his uh, agent, or maybe not, because remember, he was in the main cast uh, last season. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was. I guess yeah. it was like if you're bringing back all these other like classic actors, he wants to stand out that little bit more. Now he's a special guest star among them, because if you slot him in with the rest of them, well, then he's on equal footing. Well, Patrick Stewart should be a special guest star then, too. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, no uh, kidding. Look, if uh, Isa Brionis came back in the final episode, does she get a special guest star credit? Not if, when. when? And yes, okay. she will. It, but it'll say special, special guest. 
Yeah. I remember last week I said, like, uh, whatever my nitpicks are about uh, last week's episode, it, it maybe betray the fact that I, I thought it was a fine episode. This one, I, I really was not as much of a fan of. Like, I like the Vatic backstory, um, kind of understanding um, where her origins lie, kind of understanding how these uh, zealot changelings are distinct. You know, she had an interesting line. It was something uh, like kind of along the lines of like they, they're choosing to uh, take these forms. Uh, it's like a shorter life but like eternal pain to get revenge. And it's like, okay, I understand like what's motivating them, but I, I still don't like how whatever the ultimate plan is and whoever's behind this plan, it, it's still cast in mystery. And it's just like, that's like, I, I don't mind if there's like mystery around like who might be a changeling at Starfleet's uh, headquarters. Like that's okay. But it's just like obscuring what the ultimate goal is behind the antagonist. I'm just kind of, it makes me roll my eyes just that much more. Well, and also, you know, the evil face that talks to her the floating evil face, we still have no idea what that is. Going off some of the word choices it was using this week indicate that it's not a changeling. So, like, the motivation of who this character, like, what they actually want, it could be anything. Like, they aren't even telling us, like, what alien race it would be where we'd go, okay, if it's Romulan, we could start to maybe put some pieces together. Klingon, we could do the same. Here we have absolutely nothing, so I'm kind of getting tired of playing these guessing games with Star Trek Picard, which, not just with that one, but also the Jack Crusher, like, what could he have? I don't know, Paw yeah. Race, Borg yeah. Infection, could be anything. It could be like um, Season 2 Discovery, where they teased a lot of Borg elements, and then it turned out to be like a probe from the future. Like, sure, but I would rather you reveal it and deal with the ramifications of it and explore it, than tease it out till... I don't even know what episode, like maybe episode eight, but I mean, they were revealing Q's motivation the last 15 minutes of episode 10 of season two. Uh, so are you still uh, thinking it's a Borg plot here, Cam? Uh, like a Lacutus communicating? Maybe. And I think anything's on the board. I don't no, think no, they've given I mean, me... Based on what this episode was telegraphing to audiences. What is this episode telegraphing though? It's just it's not telegraphing anything. Well, no, it it was the characters saying like, okay, look, they've stolen Picard's body. Mm -hmm. They're looking for Jack, and they obviously want to do something with like uh, linking up the DNA, right? That there must be something there, and they also bring up aromatic syndrome once again uh, with regards to Picard. Uh, that that to me is more telegraphing what I was saying about like. Um, with regards to like spreading some sort of disease as their revenge against the Federation, uh, just like the Federation had uh, injected the changelings with the disease. And you look at uh, Riker's face there. That to me is what I'm talking about, like telegraphing. I, I, I'm not getting any bored telegraphing though. But the characters are also going on the assumption that this is a changeling plot when the person communicating to the changelings who seems to be in charge is not a changeling. So like... Does this person, this individual, or whatever this power is, do they want to, like, infect the Federation because of, you know, because of, like, wanting to get revenge for what happened to the Changelings? Like, I don't know. Fair enough, fair enough. But, I, I, I again, I guess I'm seeing more signals about uh, other things going on versus uh, I'm not seeing any signals about a Locutus plot. Right. I mean, to me, it's it kind of just, to me, it was connecting the dots of, like, Frequent mentions of Borg stuff, um, the Shaw-Picard connection, and then the fact they're stealing a body. But again, like, 
it's only a guess because I can only just go off of like the very vague details they give me. It's a very confident guess, though, that uh, you're... <laughs> that, that, that's, that, that's all. I'm just saying, like, I, I guess I'm asking you to... Uh, I mean, it's one thing to say, like, I've got a bold prediction that I feel very confident about, but then you also have to kind of show your work. And I guess that's what I'm asking you to do is, like, show your work here. But this show doesn't do, like, ever show its work. So I it's know. like <laughs> it's like asking me to give evidence based on a show that won't give me any evidence. It's like uh, season three of Discovery where it turned out <laughs> that the burn was caused by a radioactive man-child who had a temper tantrum about 150 years ago. And it's like, I, I predicted that from uh, episode one, sir. All the signals were right. All the signs were right there. Like, perfect example. Yeah. Or like... Asking me to predict that, like, season one Picard is going to end with androids trying to open up a portal to giant tentacles. <laughs> like, <laughs> how would I ever guess this? Yeah. Okay, Cam, I promise if I, I am not, I'm not on the Locutus train, I promise sure. I will eat crow. I will eat crow if uh, it turns out Locutus is going to play a big part in the finale. You, sir, will have to eat crow if, the, uh, if there is no Locutus stuff going on. That is totally fair. Totally okay, fair. This okay. is what Picard has done to me the whole series, though, is just slowly drive me insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, look, I, I, I think there's, like, some other things, like, I, I kind of irks me about the writing of this episode. In, like, the... Uh, <laughs> Picard's like, I know what we can do. Let's lure them into a trap. And, again, mm-hmm. it's one of these brute force kinds of scenarios. It's nothing organic about this trap that was really... Uh, uh, unveiled and it, it's more like like it's literally let's put force fields in front of them we've got it figured out it, it, it's it just felt arbitrary to me and then like Vatic's solution was well okay well let's brute force our way out of this situation and and thank goodness lore helped out at the last second you know yeah i just it, the, the whole plot kind of made me roll my eyes because everything felt uh, felt so arbitrary about it there's a way to do this that is far more effective. Like, I thought it was in terms of, like, direction and staging, it was decent. It kept me occupied watching the episode. But, like, the way to do this is you have a scene of Picard laying out what they need to do. Working, you know, him and Shaw back and forth, include the other characters in this planning. And you show what their plan is to box these characters in when they board the ship. And then you have that start and it goes wrong. And you can see the characters react because we know what the plan is. But there was no sense of geography. There was no sense of how we need to get Vatic in this particular position for this to work. It all just kind of like worked out that they all got boxed in just conveniently. And yes, the lore thing to me was a huge issue. Because if lore is involved in this plot, which could be revealed, in which case it sort of um, erases my criticism here. But if he is not connected, and as the episode seemed to indicate, he just wants chaos... This worked out real well for Vatic, right. and it was entirely reliant on a fly in the ointment character who just so happened to be on board. I, I, I'm just picturing like the writer's room, like the whiteboard there, and like the story beat <laughs> says, "Crew sets trap," and and like it, it makes me think about the uh, the garden gnomes in South Park, where the garden gnomes were gonna steal everybody's uh, like laundry, and ultimately they wanted to make a profit off of this, and how it worked was uh, they concocted a plan, a three a three part plan. Part one, steal laundry or steal underwear. Part two, blank. Part three, profit. And then <laughs> they were like, "Well, what's part two? Well, we'll figure that out at some point, right?" <laughs> it's just like that's what this kind of felt like. It's just kind of like ah, 
you know, uh, get them to where they have to go. It doesn't matter if, uh, you know, it feels arbitrary. But, like, ultimately, they want to, they, they've planned this all out. They want Vatican in charge of the Titan for whatever reason, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It just, it just doesn't feel organic to me. It just, it just felt like, like they could have written anything. And instead of having, like, uh, building up whatever unfolded in this episode, this episode could have taken place in 10 forward again for all I care, but they, it could have been like organic character moments being the thrust of this versus like external, um, like antagonists taking charge here. And that just kind of made me shrug my shoulders. Well, you have that whole trope of characters who want to get caught. This was very popular, especially in the wake of the dark Knight, um, with the Joker there, but it happened with Loki and the Avengers and Khan, of course, and Star Trek into darkness that could have worked with Vatic, and, you know, she got the classic trapped villain monologue there, which was very effective. But the fact was that her being caught and escaping and capturing the bridge had nothing to do with her smarts. And there's all these moments where Picard and Beverly are playing good cop, bad cop with Vatic, and she's getting, like, these reactions to them where she seems like, oh, she's surprised that they didn't know something. Like, it's really kind of fun to watch Amanda Plummer's facial reactions over the course of the scene and it's indicating she's a very smart character or at least very clever and savvy but there's nothing in terms of her escape and taking up the bridge that indicates that she had any idea this would ever happen and it's just kind of like she got good luck basically I I well I don't know Cam Beverly did say she has a plan <laughs> and like does she Okay. So did Soji. <laughs> well, that, that line from season one of Discovery where uh, Nerissa said, what is her plan? Oh, Picard. What is her plan? And then we find out by the end of the season, like, she didn't have a plan. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and from what I understand, they had to throw out like the last uh, eight scripts of season one of Picard. So it's just like those kinds of moments where they're telegraphing something, but clearly that got uh it fell victim to uh bad writing there at least with uh season one discovery where you had laurel being trapped it was just you and i assuming she had a plan (laughs) they never actually pounded over our heads that there was a plan Uh, yeah um speaking of trapped villains though uh like i i don't think brent spiner was very good in season two of picard i think he was actively uh like a bad performance um right I like seeing him again as Data, and I like seeing him again as Lore. Like, yep. Brent Spiner was great in these roles here. Um, even <laughs> stupid insults like, you and your ancient face. Um, <laughs> like, that actually made me laugh because of how dumb it was. So, yeah. um, But even just seeing, like, Lore not give a crap about uh, Crash LaForge getting pounded into the ground by... Um, the uh, the henchmen who uh, make clicking noises on the Shrike, but can talk in English when they <laughs> get onto the Titan. I, I don't quite understand what's going there. And th- they also made mention of calling other folks solids, but I don't think these henchmen are changelings. Um, you know, and, and so and, and, okay, from my understanding, Vatic established that there were a total of nine changelings that are these kind of zealot changelings that can take these kinds of um more uh, intricate sorts of humanoid forms. Am I correct about that number, nine? I believe that's right, yeah. So we've seen uh, two of them die at the hands of Jack, mm-hmm. and one of them die at the hands of Worf, uh, plus Vatic. So there's up to five 
that could be revealed throughout the rest of the season. Does that make sense? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah. Okay. Are they going to do anything interesting with that, though? I have no idea. Uh, it doesn't. It was more of a rhetorical seem question. like it. Yeah, yeah, but but hold on now. Okay, but how many changelings are involved in this overall outside of Vatic ship? Well, I I think it's nine, and then we've seen a number of them die. But okay, then what are we to make of like the Tuvok impersonator, and then them saying we can't keep doing this, which would imply this has happened multiple times to them. Okay, maybe. <laughs> I don't know how that's uh. Why would that be a problem? Well, how many change... Like, is it... Because are there more changelings in addition to just the ones on Vatic's ship involved in this? I don't think they're on Vatic's ship. Um, there's nine changelings that uh, suffered from oh. what the scientist was doing. And gotcha. they're the zealots that got on board with uh, Vatic and company. And, like, that's what's going on. So, essentially, this cabal... That's been manifested. It, it's been at the hands of you know nine changelings at this point. I don't think it's like I don't think Starfleet's been infiltrated by hundreds of changelings. Right. I think it's been infiltrated by nine, three of which are dead now. Okay. Well, the problem is like who is going to be unveiled? There's Tuvok. Not a lot of characters. Yeah, it's like we had Tuvok. The you know it's like we ridiculed Picard season uh, two for being you know basically wandering around L.A. for like. Eight episodes or nine episodes. Uh, this season, we've wandered around the Titan almost primarily. <laughs> you know, we did get yeah. the the gangster planet a little bit, but like, I don't have a lot of environments outside of the Titan and Vatic ship and the gangster planet to work with in terms of who else could be a changeling. Like, you could show me a scene of like Janeway back at Starfleet that's revealed to be a changeling, but there's no characters there. I I, I mean. I'm trying to think, like, who would be, like, kind of a perfect reveal? They, they've they already done, like, a Tuvok. Yeah. But it's like, it, there's no one else that they've established throughout the start of the season that where it ultimately matters, you know? And so, like, I, I just wonder, like, I'm very fearful. We're going to get to the end of the season. And it feels as if they're going to have, like, way too much stuff, like, jam-packed into the final episode or two, you know? And it's, I don't know. Like, I, I think this season is <laughs> turned out, like... um much better than the first two seasons, but I my mm -hmm. mind hasn't been quite blown away the way that some other fans have been. And again, uh, I was looking at the IMDb scores, and IMDb scores, they're only an indicator of what other IMDb users think. But this one, um, not nearly getting the same sort of love as the previous couple. And I'd also right. say that unless you're big into Tuvok love... <laughs> uh, the, the fan service just wasn't quite there. And I just wonder if too many people are responding to like fan service versus like good storytelling. I just, I, like I found this episode just kind of like, like unexceptional. And, and I don't mean that like, um, unaccept or like exceptionally bad, just like unexceptional, like, like not, nothing bad about it. It's just, or nothing particularly great about it either. Yeah. And we've had a couple episodes like that along the way of Picard, uh, season three, like this show to me doesn't feel radically different than the first two seasons in terms of like what it's doing the way it is basically laying out its mysteries throughout a uh, season mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. just that it's done better 
-hmm. Like the character interactions are far more involving. You have some really strong like villain performances. You know, you have Amanda Plummer there and you just compare what she's doing to what um, Brent Spiner was doing in season two or Rizzo and the various Romulan characters in season one. It's night and day. It just feels like they didn't change up the structure of what they're doing. They just boosted the elements to make it more engaging. Yeah. I also get the sense that there is much more of a uh, an overall plan with this season mm. than we got with those first two as well. Uh, look, I'm enjoying the season. I, I am. I am. But it's just like these little details that just keep like bugging me about it. And it, it seems like very easy stuff to address. And I think that's why it's bugging me. I am just really concerned that they are going to cram a lot into like their last episode or two. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. which has been a real standard of the Picard series where, you know, the last two episodes of season one, it was just get them arriving at the Android uh, planet and the very hasty Android plot there and them kicking soccer balls and <laughs> tentacles and all that stuff going on really like quite rushed, especially in that last episode. And then in season two, the last episode, you had the, um, the drone strike, you had the ship taking off to go on the mission, you had the Q revelation stuff, and it felt very crammed as well. Plus, they had to get back to the bridge of the Titan to deal with the Agnes Borg Queen stuff. So, like, I am hoping they do a, like, the next episode, just please resolve the mysteries, tell us what's going on with Jack Crusher, and who is behind this plot, and use your last two episodes basically as kind of like a bit of a two-parter to give the big, you know, climax and big resolution to these characters. Don't wedge it all into the final episode or don't leave lingering mysteries that I am waiting until like, you know, the 27-minute mark of the last episode of the season. Well, episode four, uh, my favorite episode of the season, uh, No Win Scenario, that definitely felt like the end of a first act of a 10-episode season. It still feels like we are right in the middle of the second act, and we only have three more episodes to go. Yeah. And I am, like, I'm kind of concerned, like, we're going to have, essentially, the last two episodes will be the final act, and they're just going to be jamming way too much into that, versus uh, the these... This one felt like a lot of plate spinning to a lesser degree last week did as well. And I just don't feel like we've had a lot of momentum with some of our characters. Like Worf and Raffi. Not plate had... sw- spinning. I'm sorry, Cam, to interrupt. I meant wheel spinning. Oh, wheel spinning. Plate <laughs> yeah. spinning too. They got a lot yeah. going on, Tyler. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the circus going on there. But yeah. like, there's not a lot of momentum, I feel like, with some of the characters. You know, we had Worf and Raffi introduced. And like, what have they done? done like there's been no real like tension it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on with them that's going to carry them through the last three episodes it just doesn't feel like we've been set up to have like this like kind of accelerated or at least exhilarating into where these characters have been journeying because i don't know like where's Riker going the next three episodes uh he's still hanging out in the brig with uh green screened uh, marina certis I mean, I think it's just going to result in them going to break him out. Because, uh, you know, in the like early, early glimpses, they had like what Picard and Riker with phasers saying something like, just like the old days. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess that'll pay off at some point. Wasn't that from uh, earlier on in the season or not? Was it where they had phasers? Maybe it was. Maybe I I'm think just that was from when they got onto uh, Beverly's ship initially. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, look, I like. He, I, 
I'm going to throw this out to you. The HBO kind of uh, model for a lot of shows, you know, I'm talking Game of Thrones, The Wire, uh, uh, The Sopranos. Um, your penultimate episode was mm-hmm. the one where all the action was. Like, that's where the climax was. And then the f- season finale was more about kind of like uh, resolving whatever the consequences were of those big actions, uh, the, the, that big climax. And I often found while those season finales weren't as explosive, they're far more interesting. And I wouldn't mind if it was just like Frontier Day, whatever that is. I, I like how uh, Tuvok made it clear that Admiral Janeway, like everyone else, is obsessed with the logistics of Frontier Day. <laughs> um, I hope Frontier Day is episode nine. They resolve that. I I, I just, I can't tell you, I, I don't really care whatever the big explosive plot that they have to thwart in um, Frontier Day is. I hope that's episode nine. And you get the final episode, just kind of tying up loose threads, uh, threads, uh, friends being back together, like um, um, uh, having another uh, a, a trip to the poker table, like that sort of stuff versus like, okay, it's episode 10 and we've got eight minutes left to uh, do all that sort of stuff versus an entire episode. Is this series going to end with all of the classic cast gathered around at the 10 forward bar? I uh, like Guinan's 10 forward bar or the uh, yeah. one from uh, uh, <laughs> the uh, episode one of Picard. Uh, no, the one where they um, had the whole bit with Whoopi Goldberg talking about Rios at the end of season two. I sure hope not. I mean, I wouldn't you rather just see them on the uh, more a more familiar set than well, uh, they've made the bar very familiar uh, this uh, these past two seasons, <laughs> but. I'd rather have like more of an explicit TNG callback, you know, whether it's a poker table, um, whether it's the the bridge of a rather familiar looking ship for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, like that would uh, that would please me much more than going back to that bar set once once again. They love the bar though; they just love it. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Um, okay, I did have a question for you. Like, okay. what do you make of this whole? jack crusher mystery i mean we both have agreed it's kind of just being dragged out but at this point what do you even make of what this character is going through well okay he's like i i I kept thinking about this Uh, so i watched this episode twice and i kept thinking about it and we have fatic saying lines like i want to take you to a better place and he was never really for you to Mm -hmm. beverly and i so he's got like telepathic powers he can turn ninja at the drop of a hat um he sees red vines everywhere (laughs) yeah you know like he sees a red door all the time what does this all add up to um obviously cam he is locutus of borg It's like, it could be anything. I mean, I, yeah. I, I've seen people like talk about paw wraiths online okay. and I'm like, of course, like they're teasing the type of imagery we've seen with the paw wraiths, but I think it would be hilarious <laughs> if it was the paw wraiths. I mean, it would definitely get a snicker out of me, but I just think it's like teasing familiar things that can kind of drive fans in certain directions, trying to play guesswork with it. But I don't think it is these things. It's just like frustrating to me because when he starts exhibiting things like doing the old Ready Player One act there on Crash La Forge, like, I don't know what his abilities are. I don't know what this character can do. I don't know anything about him 
So I don't know like how to even read these scenes because I'm like, oh, he can do that. I don't know what he can do. He can do anything. It's like magic because I don't have any sort of set of rules to play within. What's well, it's a failure in terms of world building in this particular instance, and, and it's hard to get invested because, as you said, okay, remember that um, ocarina of uh, magic that appeared in the season one finale of Picard, where uh, you just take this little instrument and think about um, fixing uh, La Serena, mm. and all of a sudden it's fixed, and you're like, what? Where's it, that now? Like, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. I'm just like. Uh, this isn't Star Trek, you know, and, and I hate to be the guy who's like, that's not real Star Trek. But I mean, it, it just it seems so dopey and goofy. And we're verging on like the Jack Crusher stuff getting like dopey at this point, despite the fact like I like the character. Um, but I'm kind of <laughs> we've had eight or seven episodes of um, him having weird stuff going on in his brain. And I'm not particularly intrigued by whatever's going on. And the longer you drag this out before giving us the full explanation as to what's going on with him and what his powers are and what his origins are and all that sort of stuff, the longer you're putting off actually diving into what this means to his relationships with Beverly and John Luke. Yeah. Um. Okay. A couple of things I I, I want to touch on before we get to the Camden Lorton report, though. But uh, the musical sequence, kind of the climax of this episode, in which you have kind of that classical music playing over the course of uh, these kind of kind of uh, chase scenes and all that. Um, it, it was interesting. We haven't really seen anything like that in uh, Star Trek, period, in terms of uh, music and editing mm-hmm. and cutting back and forth between different scenes and different characters. Um, so I, I found it very interesting to see Star Trek do that. I, I will say that I, uh, they've done that before in other movies and TV shows, and I'd say Battlestar Galactica, um, just among kind of sci-fi properties, it, it, I mean, it probably it did it to much greater effect, but I mm-hmm. like that Star Trek is willing to kind of branch out in terms of style and, and just kind of uh, play around with that sort of stuff, which I it did stand out to me in this episode. Well, like you compare like the direction and just the style of season three Picard to season two, and it's like night and day. Like, they're actually trying some original things visually with this season. This feels like trying to push, like, a familiar Star Trek in a new direction. Because, like, whereas they were just, like, reinventing the wheel, it seemed like, with um, Discovery when it started, it seems like they're taking, like, the world of TNG, kind of the one we know from the movies, and kind of pushing it in a more ambitious visual direction. So I can totally appreciate that they're doing that. Whereas when you look at, like, season two Picard, it's like... I don't know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 3. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to point out is uh, we're at the Chintoka scrapyard, and I immediately, uh, my eyes popped because Chintoka hmm. was uh, the uh, Season 6 uh, finale uh, of uh, Deep Space Nine in which they took the Chintoka system from the Cardassians there, leaving uh, Jadzia behind to be uh, killed by Dukat, the Paw Wraith lover. Um, so, yeah, Cam, they're signaling Paw Wraiths more than they are Locutus at this point. <laughs> if it's Paw Wraiths, it better involve, like, the ghost of Goldicott sure. rising up <laughs> sure. from the heavens. Um, Cam, why are uh, Seven and Shaw suddenly wearing leather jackets instead of uh, Starfleet uniforms? I wondered the same thing. <laughs> I was like, wait, did they change like an episode or two ago and I didn't notice? Because it's this episode, I think it's because, you know, the Titans on their run. It seems like when Star Trek gets edgy, 
the leather jackets come out. <laughs> that yeah, seems man. to be a bit of a thing because uh, that was going on in Discovery as well. Even when you go way back to Star Trek Three, where doesn't Kirk throw on a leather jacket when they uh, hijack the Enterprise? Uh, he definitely had like that bomber jacket uh, from. So there's definitely the bomber jacket from uh, Wrath of Khan that he wore in Wrath of Khan. Was it the same bomber jacket he was still wearing? I think it was, wasn't it Sulu wearing like a leather jacket in Maybe it's Sulu. Search for Spock? Someone's wearing a leather jacket. Definitely. Maybe it's Sulu. It's definitely. not Chekhov because he's wearing the, the pilgrim outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that Eric Soong uh, from Enterprise, uh, that two-parter, or was it a three-parter? Um, anyways, the one that, uh, the couple episodes that Eric Soong was in, uh, uh, he was wearing a leather jacket, also played by uh, one uh, uh, Brent Spiner. Cam, I never in the, uh, for the life of me ever thought that after um, the dream episode uh, of uh, Deep Space, or of uh, TNG, which I think was, uh, was it Birthright? It's where uh, Worf ends up on the uh, Romulan kind of penal colony planet. That's it, yeah. And, yeah, and then uh, Data is also dreaming. Um, that, I think that was the last time we saw Soong. And then... We've built up the Soong mythology over the course of Enterprise, <laughs> over the course of three seasons of Picard, in a way I never expected to get all this Soong mythology going. Are we doing a Soong family tree episode at some point in the future? <laughs> I, I, it, it's got to be, everybody's played by, uh, by the same actor, so it's going to be pretty cheap for the uh, producers, I, I'd say. But it's like, uh, even like Jordy had that line about like, uh, perhaps integrating data and lore was going to be the final step in what the Soongs have been pursuing all along in this discovery of real humanity. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. Where do you think they're going with this android? I think it, it like, I don't think you tell Spiner, hey, you want to come back and play Data again? Because you already gave him that proper send off in season yep. one. You came back for season two and you're playing in a completely different character. Come back for season three and get a little mix of uh, lore and data. But I think by the end, they do want to integrate them somehow and create a far more balanced sort of android character. Now, do you think there's a future for this character? Or is this just like a, we resolve what this android is, never to be seen again in Star Trek? I, I wouldn't say no. It's like... I think Brent Spiner, like, he's loved coming back to Star Trek over the last mm -hmm. uh, three seasons of Picard. I don't see him saying no to having the opportunity to play kind of a new sort of android character in this very familiar universe that, you know, it really is kind of a legacy for him. And I, I, I'd say, yeah, like, I, I'm down to see him. Uh, now, the um, potential for him uh, to show up at, uh, at Starfleet Academy, um, <laughs> it, that'd be amazing if he's one of the, uh, the young... Um, uh, recruits there one cadets i should say so that would be fun but um what else star trek holds in terms of like ongoing tv series i like i don't know like does he even have the opportunity to come back in a future show or movie perhaps like if they want to do these movies in more limited series perhaps but yeah yeah um yeah either way I, i'm liking spiner's performance much more Oh yeah, this go round, and I, I, I do. I, I want to go back to Levar, Levar Burton once again. I, I just like even hearing, kind of the delivery of the line of like, you know, like uh, you broke me, you know, like your death broke me, and like I just like it, it was good stuff there. Like I, I just want to give props to him. It, it made me a better father, made me a better friend, and 
you know, it's just kind of like, I, I, I just, I, as, as you said, it is really rehabilitating uh, what we saw as very much kind of a throwaway reaction from Jordy in Nemesis there. Yeah, and I'm sure LeVar Burton really loved getting that monologue there because Jordy typically didn't get a lot of really, like, emotional moments like that. So it was great to see him given that material and just clearly relish delivering it. Do you know I think the last one was? I was thinking about this. Um, I think it had to be the episode Interface in season, early season seven of TNG was the last time we saw Jordy get really emotional. That's what I was thinking, because it's his mother, or at least an alien posing as his mother, right? Yeah, and so yeah. that was 30 years ago that Jordy LaForge got to actually kind of like um, show emotion, and LeVar Burton got to kind of express that, but Interface was a pretty bad episode, and the script was pretty terrible too, and, and Jordy just looked um, a little deranged as well. Yeah. So, I don't know, I do appreciate LeVar Burton getting like a moment like this, and like frankly killing it, and I, I just, I appreciate that, for me at least, like attract where the character was like i could believe it more so than following some of these other characters journeys yeah there's some low-key like warmth stuff in first contact when he's part of the mission and the cochrane story but it does feel like um interface previously was his big moment also that episode oh what was the name of it it was named after the female character at the heart of it the one where they have the sex crystals oh aquiel Aquiel, there's a lot of emotion in Aquiel. <laughs> yeah, but I think that was season six as well. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And by warmth in First Contact, you're talking about uh, Jordy giggling about the term leak. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That was probably like his most notable moment in that movie, was it not? Yeah. What did he yeah. do in um, Insurrection? He got his vision back. And, yeah. Uh... Oh, and then he jettisoned the warp core before Riker officially said jettison the warp core. Right, yep. And uh, I can't think of anything else. Okay, and then Nemesis, obviously he's there when Data says goodbye, but what does he do in the rest of the film? Um, well, he was there with before. And, of course. Um, the best screen partner you could hope for. Yeah. <laughs> What else did he do? In all fairness, I've seen Insurrection and especially First Contact so many more times than I've watched Nemesis. Mm -hmm. I've probably only seen Nemesis three times, which is a lot for a pretty mediocre movie. So maybe he had a lot to do and I just can't remember. I'm in the same boat with Nemesis and I've only seen Insurrection, I think, three times as well. So they don't stick in my head as well as the original series movies or the first two TNG ones. Yeah, I probably like if I had to guess, I've probably seen uh, First Contact somewhere between, I don't know, 20 to 30 yeah. times. I've probably seen Insurrection at least five or six times. Okay, I'm like, I think Generations, I think I'm like five or six. Yeah. Um, First Contact's probably about the same. Wrath of Khan's the one I've seen the most, and that's probably like a dozen times or something. Okay, okay. I, you look... Tyler with that VHS copy of uh, mm -hmm. uh, First Contact way back in the day. I had my VHS copy of that and my VHS copy of The Undiscovered Country. Those those are the ones that got the most uh, viewings from me uh, for, among the uh, Star Trek films. In the Smith House, it was Mortal Kombat and um, The Mask. <laughs> <laughs> and then every time you pulled it out, uh, the, uh, uh, the Mask VHS, you kept saying to your family, uh, somebody stop me. <laughs> They're like, no, no, please stop. <laughs> stop playing this. 
All right, Cam. Um, okay. We're, we're in the, the final stretch. I still think that uh, they're going to kind of be spinning wheels, uh, spinning their wheels when we get to episode eight next week. I, I hope not, but uh, there we go. Uh, Dominion. Yeah. Boom. Yep. Yep, there it is. And let's jump over to the Cam DeLorton report and talk about the latest episode of The Mandalorian, The Pirate, which... Tyler, I would say this was a bit of a bump up from last week. Yeah, I'd say one of the stronger episodes so far this uh, season. Uh, and it's been a pretty mediocre, strange season for Mando. And um, I was reading like kind of a, a, a newsletter uh, this morning, um, just kind of touching upon this very odd season. And, and they brought up a good point. The more you learn about the Mandalorians, um, the less interesting <laughs> they are. And yeah. the less you want to be around them. I can't wait to get out of this like Mando plot in which he's hanging out with, uh, in which Jin is hanging out with other Mandalorians. I think that's where we're inevitably going. It, it's going to be um, Bo-Katan taking over. I, I like how um, the, the Mandalorians save uh, Navarro and Grief is like, you can have the love of fields. <laughs> and I'm like, how generous, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I think it's essentially, they're going to have like their own little settlement and then we'll, we'll get Jin and, and Grogu going off on their own adventures for season four. I, I, praise be to the Mando gods because I'm kind of getting sick of what, what's been going on, like hanging around these like religious zealots, um, much like the, 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 the zealots in, uh, that are the changelings in season three of Picard. Well, they don't have any personality. And that's part no. of the problem. Like, Bo-Katan has a bit of a personality. We know that character now. But, like, there's the armor, you know, Mandalorian character. But I wouldn't exactly call her a fountain of uh, charisma and personality. I, I also do appreciate how Jin's kind of rival was the one that kind of rose to the occasion mm-hmm. finally after them uh, not really liking each other for the last three seasons. Yeah. And uh, Boba Fett as well. Uh, sorry, that uh, couple episodes of Boba Fett in which, um, Mandal- uh, in which Jin was uh, appearing on. Yeah, yeah. Like, to me, it's kind of an issue where you just have all of these characters wearing these helmets that they don't have a lot of personality. It's not coming through the way it does, especially with, you know, the title character of the Mandalorian. Like, that personality comes through. And I just think this show is better when it's him on his own being the Mandalorian. Yes. You know, wandering the galaxy, taking part in missions. This episode was like really entertaining, I thought, when it was dealing with the actual pirate problem, where it's the <laughs> very classic, like, small little settlement on a planet that apparently consists of pretty much the majority of the planet and it is being attacked <laughs> and they have to come save the day. It might as well have been a mining colony. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, it was really exciting to watch these Mandalorians go in. They've set up how badass Mandalorians are and to watch them just annihilate this entire wave of pirates. Like, it's very simple, but it's very effective action storytelling. I found it involving. It was well-paced. It looked great a lot of the time. So I can't really complain. It feels like what this show delivered very easily in the first couple seasons that grabbed me. When they would like do cutaways to things like the um, X-Wing pilot going to, I don't know, investigate the bureaucracy of the rebels. Like, I'm like, okay, now we're getting into, like, Star Wars world building and the rise of the First Order and all this sort of, like, backstory stuff that, like, I don't really care. Uh, Like, I know where it's going, and I don't really see how this involves my title character. 
I, I did enjoy Tim Meadows, though, as one of those uh, new Republic uh, bureaucrats. Um, sure. Honestly, like, what also interested me about this episode is the X-Wing pilot coming across the abandoned shuttle and yeah. discovering that uh, Moff Gideon has escaped. And it's, as I noted, that there are no reports of him facing trial either. So it seems as if there's some sort of, like, uh, oopsies going on or a cover-up going on. Like, that I actually kind of find interesting. And this is coming from somebody who doesn't like these kind of uh, mysterious cliffhangers or whatever. Um, I'm hoping we get some Moff Gideon in... I can't believe it's already, like, the season finale next week. Um, you know, but... Uh, yeah, like I, I found this to be a stronger episode, but this this episode alone does not save this season for me. Is it the finale next week? I thought it was eight episodes. Uh, was this not episode seven? No, this was episode five. Oh, th- th- this is how uh, this season feels to me. It's been dragging out. <laughs> that um, one, the wandering through the caves took up at least three or four episodes, right? Okay, sure felt okay. like it. So uh, I apologize, uh, my mistake there. <laughs> I, I thought it was episode seven, but uh, you know, I was clearly thinking of uh, Picard in that case. Right. Yeah. I mean, I thought that sequence at the end was incredibly effective. It was like very creepy. I think I read that it was inspired by the Ben Gardner boat scene in Jaws, which it had that sort of energy, especially when they're finding like the piece of metal in the in the wall, which feels kind of like the shark's tooth in the hull of the boat. Um, but it was creepy, it was ominous, it was very well staged, and uh, give me more like that. Like, that's one thing The Mandalorian can do really well, which is genre hop, and really, like, change up its energy, and I haven't liked the way they've been dealing with this show this season, but give me more of this. Give me, like, standalone adventures that can delve into different genres and feels. Okay, you mentioned the Beskar armor uh, kind of appearing there, but... uh... I kind of feel like I'm already predicting where things are going. Like, are, are they trying to frame the Mandalorians for, like, Poppin Moth Gideon out of um, the prison shuttle? And then it's going to be the New Republic descending upon, like, the Mando colony. You know, I'm just like, oh, now they face mm, being yeah. wiped out yet again. Like, I kind of think that's where it's going. I don't know. I don't think they're going to wipe out all the Mandalorians and leave him the last one. No, would... I, I don't think they're going to wipe them out, but I wonder yeah. if the uh, the New Republic will descend upon them. Yeah, like, I actually think it would be fitting if they did all get wiped out except him, because it is called the Mandalorian. That would actually... Even the children? <laughs> Especially the children. Okay. Hey, okay. we had Order 66. We've seen some hardcore stuff. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Uh, that's not outside of the realm of possibility in Star Wars, but um, no, I, I think... This season is going to end with like some sort of battle royale involving all of those Mandalorians, right? It just seems kind of obvious. Yeah, but it didn't we kind of we've gotten battle royales like two episodes in a row already? Um, yeah, you know, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> this season is just weird. When are they going to uh, pull out the um, IG11? Because that was teased earlier on. Yeah. Uh, uh... I mean, you're you're asking me like, do I know the episode? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, but I I think what you you meant to say is like, be prepared because they are going to do it at some point, right? Yeah. It's the question of is it the next episode or two, or is that like a finale, big explosive moment? I the way that this entire season or or much of the season so far has been like framed, Kim. I don't know. Like, we're going to Coruscant for like eighty <laughs> percent of an episode. 
Yeah. And uh, just leaving the Mando stuff to be bookends. And it's like, I, so I can't predict what's going to happen, I, especially because I think back to Boba Fett and I was delighted that uh, after like five crappy episodes of Boba Fett, we're going to spend the next like two episodes just focused on like uh gin, right? Yeah. I, it, like to me, it was sweet relief, but I didn't really clue into the fact that um, the creatives are like, now we can do whatever we want, tell whatever story we want in the confines of this universe at a, any given time. So it, it leaves me wondering, like, how much can I really be invested in if they can just go off and do anything at any moment? Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. And like the way they're hopping around this season is just like kind of it's, it's disrupting the flow of what should feel like a cohesive character driven season the way the previous two were. And I'm I'm not a fan of them like involving all these external events to do with Star Wars lore because it's like my main character doesn't really have a role in these and he can't impact them. No. He can't have an effect on them. You can have the rise of, you know, the the evil order coming in. Uh Mando's not stopping that. We've seen those movies. So he can be impacted by them, but you're showing me all this behind the scenes stuff going on with like cloners and this female officer who seems to be up to no good but like mando has no place in this like so that's frustrating i keep thinking to myself like yeah i don't really care well like like honestly yeah just, and the other thing i'll say about the the navarro stuff i was just like eh well what if they get wiped out and i was like eh. it's like, <laughs> like i, I kind of shrugged my shoulders i was much more invested in what was going on um season two with uh the marshal uh, with, uh, the, the Timothy Oliphant character and like him trying to save his very small town. That's mm. me. Like, um, but now I'm just kind of getting, I'm getting like less invested in like what's going on in this kind of pocket of the galaxy. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. Do you think Navarro is named after Dave Navarro? Yes, Camp. <laughs> Big Red Hot Chili Peppers fans going on uh, oh. behind the scenes uh, of Mandalorian. He was only on like that. He was only with that band for like one album. Is uh, He's a... Uh, yeah. Jane's Addiction is what Navarro is best known for. No, but they're big Red Hot Chili Peppers fans. That's how they knew that. <laughs> they're going for the worst albums. <laughs> they're going for the deep cuts with the references. <laughs> the Navarro album was far and away the worst Chili Peppers album, though. Which one was it? Oh, uh, God, I don't remember. Okay. Um, it just, like, it, it was when John, uh, I'm going to mess up his name, but John Frusciante had decided he needed to depart the Chili's for a period of time and um so they they when you have to like replace if you've got a four-piece band and you've got a rotating lineup of drummers throughout your entire history you're distinct you've got a very distinct bass sound and you've got an ongoing vocalist when you get rid of your one and only guitarist and you like it's just it's such a big changeup for a band. You know, it's mm -hmm. not the same band when you find like a new lead guitarist. And, it, you know, it's just kind of a weird thing that um, maybe the band should have just taken a break, but maybe they didn't know if like John was ever going to return back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for all we know in an alternate timeline, Dave Navarro is still ruling the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> okay, Cam. <laughs> just what our, our fans were wanting to know. Um, can't wait until we go to Planet Flea. <laughs> next week <laughs> okay so on that note 
our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. We'll be back, of course, next week with a review of episode eight of Picard season three and episode six of The Mandalorian. And who knows what other Star Trek news we will have to offer as well. You can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V as in Vatican a box, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T. T is in TikTok. TikTok goes the ancient clock. O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. The one where they have the sex crystals.